the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Roswell in the 21st century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404 474 0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404-474-0086. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century, 
and encounter in the desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here's the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. Normally I start off with something of a rant, but there's so much going on that I could rant about that has nothing to do with UFOs or the paranormal that we could just take days and days with that. So I'll just bypass that and go right to our guest today is Calvin Parker. And uh, those of you who have been around for a while know that we've chatted with Calvin Parker once before on this program. And I will tell you on October 11, 1973, the then 19-year-old Calvin Parker and his friend Charles Hickson, who I think was 42, were fishing in the Pascagoula River in Mississippi. They were abducted by three humanoids taken into a glowing craft. On board the alien ship, both were subjected to a physical examination before being returned to the riverbank. When the ship departed, they found a telephone and called the sheriff. The next day, their encounter was national news, which seemed to kick off the October 1973 wave of UFO sightings. Last year, and now it's probably a little longer, uh, Parker told his story in detail in the, for the first time, including the regression sessions conducted by the late Bud Hopkins. Since publication of his book, other witnesses have been located, and Parker has related additional past encounters with the aliens. His book was Pascagoula. The case, the story continues. And uh, Calvin Parker, welcome to A Different Perspective. Hey, thank you for having me back, Kevin. It's a great honor to be back on your show. I I've appreciate seen you've been writing quite a few books, too. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, for those of you, for those of the listeners who aren't really familiar with the with your initial abduction, which I, I think we need to recount very quickly before we get into the new book and the additional witnesses and other things that took place. So could you tell me a little bit about your first abduction experience? Absolutely. This happened October 11th, 1973. I had just went to work at the shipyard with my friend Charlie Hickson to uh, my first day there. And needless to say, I got a physical and lost my job and hired all on the same day. But we worked all day, and when we got off work, Charlie wanted to go fishing. So I told him, yeah, you know, it's nothing else to do because I had moved from Laurel, Mississippi to Pascagoula, Mississippi that next day just to uh, work, and I knew it was going to be bored. So we went by and picked up our fishing equipment, and uh, he said, let's go to uh, an old abandoned shipyard I know of, the Shaw Peter Shipyard. It's on the East River, and uh, right off Highway 90. Matter of fact, you can see Highway 90 on the left where we were standing you could see the cars going by on the bridge and they could also see us so we went there and it took about 15 minutes to get there first thing I noticed was all the trash and the debris that had washed up and I thought Charlie you know why hadn't they kept this place up he said you don't understand he said when the water comes in it brings all this stuff and when it goes out it just leaves it here and that's why there's no trespassing signs here. I said, Charlie, we shouldn't really be trespassing. Oh, it's okay. I've done all this before. 
Well, and he probably had, but he'd just never been caught. We got caught red-handed. So we walked down and got on the pier and was sitting there. And I remember looking out across the East River and there was a ship. And being I was a ship fitter and working on ships, I was thinking in my mind, just kind of dazing and daydreaming, how does something made out of steel float? And that's when I noticed coming from behind me some hazy blue lights reflecting out across the water. And to be honest with you, what I thought, it was the law and they were standing there to run us off or to put us in jail. But Charlie must have noticed them at the same time I did. So we both kind of stood up and turned around and looked. And that's when a real bright spotlight hit us. And this thing was coming out of the craft, but you couldn't see any light fixtures. But through this light that was flooding in, it was kind of blinding us. I noticed uh, three bulky creatures coming toward us. And right at the time, I didn't know who it was. I thought it could be the law or, as I said before on another show, they was built like Green Bay Packers coming toward us over there. Well, you say so, they, you mean beings, entities of some kind. Yes, sir, the beings. And, uh, but I couldn't really make out what they were at that time. Well, two of them got a hold of Charlie and one of them got a hold of myself. And immediately... Uh, I felt an injection in my arm. It seemed to be like a, a little sharp pain and a whisk of air go by. And later on, we found out that it was injection when we got to the hospital, something to kind of calm us down or calm me down. Now, I can't speak for Charlie on this. Well, they took me in front of Charlie and kind of levitated me toward the ship, toward the craft, we got to the door, which was uh, approximately two, two and a half, three foot off the ground. He kind of paused. And I got a chance to look inside. And I was still actually hunting that light. But, you know, I had had that uh, shot where you don't really care if you see the light or not. By this time, I couldn't move nothing but my head and roll my eyeballs a little bit. Well... Coming out of the wall seemed to be this bright light that we was, but when we walked, went in the door there, it dimmed down just like regular lights would. And this thing made a left turn, and then he got to a door and made a right turn. And I was looking in, and I seen what I call an examination table. And uh, he took me over and laid me on the table on an angle. And then this creature, and I'm calling the creature, the big ugly one, backed up into a corner and just shut down. And that's what makes me think he was robotic and taking commands of somebody else. Because just like you turn the light switch off, he shut down over there. Well, I was laying on my back, and all of a sudden I was looking up at the ceiling, and something around the size of a deck of cards came down stopped about a foot, foot and a half from my face, and then started rotating around. And as it would go around, it would click, click one time, two times, three times, four times. Then this 
thing about the size of a deck of cards just shot back up into the ceiling and either blended in or disappeared. Then I felt a presence. And as I said, after that little shot... Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. But I couldn't do nothing but kind of roll my head, my eyeballs a little bit. And I tried to take time to kind of look around this room. And I rolled my head over to my right, what, what, what would be actually my left the way that I was laying and looking. And uh, this, what seemed to be a attractive-looking female came out. And when I say that, I don't know that she was a female. Uh, you know, that was something that would be hard to prove, but I just sensed she was a female. So you're, you're talking. Sense. You're talking about. You're talking about a, a human-looking being. Uh... Yes, sir. Yeah, she came out of the door, and uh, you know, she was dressed in normal clothes. I didn't see no uh, indication that proved that she was a female, except for her hair, and uh, her face was normal. Looked just like. Somebody, I, I had once made the comment, if I'd been in a bar drinking, I would have probably tried to pick her up. So that's just how normal to me she looked at the time. But she came over and she took her hand and she grabbed me by the cheek and just felt my skin. Well, I didn't have any feelings of warmth or anything in her fingers. But the one thing that I noticed that didn't look normal on her was her fingers. 
her two middle fingers on each hand was a little longer than uh, the rest of them. So she got her left hand and she put her uh, fingers on my chin and pressed down, opening up my mouth. And she took her other two middle fingers, them long ones, and run down my throat. And, well, let me, uh, let, me, let me interrupt you here because I'm going to have to take the first break. Okay. When we come back, we'll get a little bit more of this story. And then I think we need to move into the story continues. We need to talk about uh, the subsequent witnesses that have come forward or have been found that, that witnessed part of the, the abduction process or the alien, alien spaceship. And you also said that you had another encounter sometime later that I'd like to talk about a little bit as well. Good I'm here deal. with... I'm here with Calvin Parker. The book is Pascagoula, The Story Continues. I, of course, have been pushing the book, uh, The Best of Project Blue Book, which is mine. I'll have more information at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. Are you looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third-generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Jenny as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. 
Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Calvin Parker, he of the Pascagoula abduction case. Uh, his book is Pascagoula, The Story Continues. And before I get back to him, I'd like to just mention there are some other fine programs about the paranormal on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, network which is xzbn.net. And for our pals in other parts of the world, it's xzbn.net. So take a look at the list, list, listings, listings, listings. <laughs> My tongue has gone away for the for the rest of the day, I guess. Take a look at the uh, other listings on the Exxon website. And you'll can find you'll find something that can spark your interest. When we went away, we were talking. You had just uh, seen the female entity, and she had opened your mouth and stuck her fingers down your throat. Uh, yeah, take it sure. from there. <laughs> Anyhow, she run her fingers down her down my throat. Well, I started choking and gagging and couldn't breathe. And bleeding out my mouth and nose. And she pulled them out and telecommunicated in a female's voice, we're not, not going to harm you. And I was thinking, you know, it's too late for all that. What I really was thinking, I was thinking I'd like to get up and run away. So she pulled her fingers out and then she made a noise coming from the bottom of her throat, kind of like these alligator mating calls down here on the bayou. It was like boom, boom. And this big, ugly creature that brought me in just popped up like a jack-in-a-box. Come over and grabbed me by the arm again. I felt another injection. Carried me out to, uh, picked me up off the table. Carried me out the door and set me down in the river, almost the same spot that I was. That was pretty bizarre for an old country boy that never heard of aliens or anything. Well, now, I understand you then called the sheriff's office? No, I didn't. We, well, Charlie and I sat there and talked for a few minutes. And we agreed between ourselves just to get up and go to work the next day because the danger and all was over. But on the way home, there was no cell phones in. Just pay phones. Charlie said, pull over here. Well, he called Keesler Air Force Base. They recommend him call the local authorities, which would be the Jackson County Sheriff Department, and talk to them. Well, let me, let me Charlie here. just filled his let, let me interrupt here because there's an important point to make. We're talking about 1973. Yes, so sir. Project Blue Book ended in 1969, and the Air Force sort of quit UFO investigations. And during that time frame in the 1970s and, and into the 1980s, if you called the Air Force with a UFO report, they would refer you to the local law enforcement agencies if you felt threatened or you felt the need to report it to somebody. So that's consistent with what was going on at the time. And I make that distinction because people say, well, why, why, would, the Air, why would the Air Force say that? And it's because that's what they had been instructed to say. So you called the, or, or Charlie called the sheriff's office, and they said for you to do what? To wait where we was, not to move. They figured we was just a couple of old guys out partying and having fun. 
<clears throat> they didn't want us to get on the road and uh, hurt anybody. So I didn't want to move then since they told Charlie for us not to. And, I, of course, I was the one driving, so I'd been the one going to jail if something was wrong. In just a few minutes, they showed up, and they walked up on my side of the car, kind of shined a light on the inside, and uh, asked to see my driver's license. And didn't didn't search a car, but uh, looked inside to see if they could see anything wrong. Then they asked me to step out of the car, and they gave me what I call a field sobriety test. And I took their little test, and... Believe it or not, they said, can you follow us back to the sheriff's department, which was uh, about seven, eight city blocks from there. I said, sure. So if they thought I had been drinking, they wouldn't even thought about going there. They took me in, gave me a breathalyzer, uh, put me into one room, and Charlie took him to another room and interrogated and believe it or not, I just got these tapes of the whole interrogation that, that I heard from that night. You know, before I thought I had just a secret tape, but I got the tape where I was interrogated and Charlie was interrogated. We got them together. So you're saying you're saying you have the taped interviews taken that very night by the police? You've now got the, the tapes themselves? I do have them. Uh, and that... The other day was the first day that I heard them. Now, I can't tell you who gave them to me because I gave my word I wouldn't because they didn't want to get involved. But they was also law enforcement at the time. And then I got the tape of the whole thing where Fred Diamond and all come in, which was the sheriff, and talked to us. So everything's on audio tape right now. It's not a, even what what I call the secret tape, I had heard parts of it, but uh, I didn't really didn't even remember this other part. And uh, of course, I sent a copy to uh, my publisher Philip Mantle, and he's going through it and listening to it. But anyhow, that's the first time I've heard that tape, and it was real interesting to me. Well, you, you could said, hear the fish. Let me ask you a question here. You had said at one point that uh, you and Charlie were put together in the same interrogation room with a, a tape going uh, so the sheriff could kind of spy on or listen to what you guys discussed when you thought you were alone. Uh, did that happen after these tapes were made, or when did that take place? These original tapes, yeah, it happened after. These original tapes started, I guess, from the time we walked in that door and went into separate rooms. They got Charlie's interrogation. They got my interrogation. Then they got us being in, uh, being in a room alone where we didn't know the tapes was in there and listened to that. And it, it was amazing to me. Well, let's, let me uh, move us along here because um, after we talked the last time and you'd mentioned that other witnesses had come forward um, can, can you give us a little bit about some of those witnesses that came forward that that saw either the craft or the abduction or participated in some fashion? I can. Uh, after the book came out, we had run a, uh, for some, oh, uh, uh, Fox News did an interview 
on this interview in the bottom, now, these people really didn't want to come out and be talked about. There was a comment of a young lady saying, my mother's seen that, and she's always wanted to meet Calvin. Well, Philip Mantle's like a great uh, uh, a hound dog. He's going to track down any kind of lead or anything he can get. So he found this lady. Her name was uh, Maria Blair. Her and her husband was across the river that night. And matter of fact, he just passed away uh, less than three weeks ago. But so they you, had were chance, across you had a chance to chat with him then? Oh, I did. Okay. Uh, Vernon Blair's his name. And he even come on tape on his deathbed and said that he had been apologized to his wife because he had been keeping this a secret all these years, and he should have let it out because he didn't let her talk up until here lately because uh, people would think they're crazy. So uh, on, on his deathbed, he apologized to her with a video camera, let his daughter tape it, and Philip and I also got to... Uh, see it and he said I want to clear this up for my wife she's not crazy she actually seen this I seen this what I'm did they, what exactly what exactly did they see what exactly did they say they saw well they seen the craft landed when it landed over there and she sat there uh, on the pier and watched it but they could see, it was across the river, but they could see us being abducted. You know, they could see the beans and all. And at the time, she really didn't understand what it was, and he didn't either. So when the craft took off and left, you know, they seen that, seen him put us out. And, you know, it's not that far, really, across the river to sit there and look. Then there was some kind of... Uh, creature she said that was in the water and, and uh, had swam over to the pier and that had went back over toward the craft before it left now i guess they lucky they probably didn't get abducted or anything but she's she seen the craft land she's seen us go on board she's seen them bring us out she's seen it take away and during all this time there was some creature that swam all the way across the river over there and checked them out, and it scared her so bad, she broke and run and jumped in the car. So, you know, they seen that. And then we ha also have uh, driving across this bridge, Highway 90 Bridge. It's one of these bridges when a boat comes, it picks it up and lets it down. There was also a probation officer that was driving across, and he's gone on record as saying that he's seen the craft. I mean, I don't... And then uh, we have another guy that was working in a ship let going me, across. Let me break in here, because once again, I got hit up against my break. Um, when we come back, we're going to explore a little bit more about the uh, correctional officer who saw it and the other witnesses that have come forward and maybe learn a little bit more about them. Uh, the book is Pascagoula, The Story Continues. My latest book is The Best of Project Blue Book, 
it's been up and down on the Amazon list. And I think if you write a review, that kind of helps us out and it gets people interested in reading a book and helps us spread the word about what's really going on with Project Blue Book and that sort of thing. I'll have more information available at my blog, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And we will be back right after this with Calvin Parker. How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hyde can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. I am joined by Calvin Parker. His book is Pascagoula, The Story Continues, which is the second volume of, I guess the second volume, of the story of the Pascagoula abductions. 
before we get into the witnesses, let me ask you one question about them. Do they have any documentation from that time, meaning October of 1973? Did any of the witnesses write a diary entry, write a letter, um, anything that we could date directly to 1973 rather than coming out some 40 years later? Anything well, like that? Uh, I think the probation officer documented, you know, everything on a... Uh, that he had seen because that's law enforcement, you know, and that's normally what they do. Then we have a preacher that came out, but I checked these people out because I had doubts about some of them. I, I was thinking that, you know, I got to be sure this is credible. I don't want somebody to come out, make up a damn lie just for their five minutes of fame. So, I went through the trouble of checking every one of them through uh, a little program I have, and then I personally went and checked their neighbors, their churches, their families, and everything else. And most all of it's documented. And, well, what, uh, I, what I'm what I'm wondering, what I'm wondering, Calvin, is is um, and the problem we have with the Roswell case, for example is we've got all these witnesses who were there, and we can prove they were in Roswell in 1947. We got all that information, but nobody wrote anything down in 1947 that we could verify that came from 1947. So I was just wondering if somebody, if, if you had somebody that had written some kind of a, a report or a message, uh, something like that, that was, was written in 1973 that would help establish the credibility. Yeah, I'm going... I'm going to have to dig a little deeper into that and see because we have got credible witnesses that I feel like that's credible and a bunch of them. It's not just uh, six or seven eyewitnesses to this account. And uh, I, I know some of them. Why didn't any of them come forward before now? I mean, the story well, was national news back in 1973, and it's been periodically mentioned in various books. And I've, I've mentioned it in books and things like that. I met uh, uh, Charles Hickson oh, decades ago at a, a conference in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And so I just wonder why these people haven't uh, been found before now. Why didn't, why didn't they say anything before now? Well, if you think about it, even on my case, I waited 46 years before I could talk about it or would because I was having to hold down a job. I was having to press hound me. I was just a nervous wreck about all this. I didn't want to talk about it. I figured people would think I was crazy. And I use that for my excuse. Now, Vernon Hill on his uh, hospital deathbed interview on his tape, he wouldn't let his wife go public with it, or he wouldn't, because people would think that was crazy. And down here in the South, you don't rattle too many cages about that. So everybody just keeps their mouth shut, minds their own business. Then why, why were they coming forward in today's environment? Why would they speak up now? Well, the biggest reason is my publisher, Philip Mantle. As I said, he's like a bloodhound. When he just caught a word that one of them might have heard something or something, he dove on top of it. And uh, he wanted to check it out for himself because he's like a private investigator himself, I guess. 
uh, he wanted he wanted to know himself for his personal stuff. And after they talked to him a little bit, they decided to let Irene Scott do some interviews. And she was real instrumental because, you know, she didn't pose any danger to nobody. She would just take down notes. And then uh, I would go and personally see these people and do an interview. But they had no no reason to uh, want to come forward in it, you know, with all this that I know of. You're suggesting that Philip Mantle, rather than the people coming forward, you're suggesting Philip Mantle was able to track them down and, and get them to tell their stories? Well, no, uh, it's not like that. It's not like he tracked them down. And uh, if they had made a comment and some of them would email us in and come forward, then he would follow up on it. Like, okay. uh Larry Bloom and all, he would, uh, he had mentioned at a conference one time, he pulled me to the side at a book signing. He said, you know, I seen something that night. I was working on a crane and all, and uh, no, nobody really ever followed up. Well, my wife was listening, and she would take notes as he was saying that. She would send them to Philip, and Philip would call and get a hold of him and talk to him. So, uh, you know, it's not like Philip influenced him. He just questioned him when he found out about him. And most of it was by accident, the way that he found out. Like Maria Blair, Trace Blair, her daughter, made the comment on a, a news program, on a blog. Philip just followed up through Trace to find out who Maria was and ask if he'd have she would have her mother call her call him or email him and she did and uh he asked her why she hadn't been came forward yet and it's because her husband Vernon wouldn't let her because everybody would think she was crazy and that made a lot of sense to me because that was my thinking my scope of thinking well, let's let's move let's move along here. You mentioned when we had you on the program before that you'd had another encounter, uh, maybe in Florida, if I remember correctly, that uh, we didn't really talk about. Uh, what was this other encounter about? In 1993, uh, there's a little island outside here called Cat Island. Well, I had not been fishing at night. You know, I'd always make sure and make it home. And I woke up that morning, I told my wife, I said, oh, I'm going to run to the islands, do a little fish, but I will be back before dark. And she said, well, be careful, and we'll see you before dark. Now, I hadn't been doing a whole lot of fishing, you know, this 20 years later. So I made a little run to the island, and I was sitting there eating my lunch. And the next thing I knew, I looked up this was 11 o'clock a.m. in the morning and I looked up it was dark and I thought well maybe I just dozed off a few minutes and uh, it's late but it was 3 a.m. the next morning and I said shoot so I got my boat and I noticed my t-shirt was bloody and I was bloody and my face was all ripped ripped apart and I thought, oh, now what the hell happened? Did somebody mug me or leave me out here or anything? So I got in my boat and I went home. I made that 
45 minute ride back to uh, the house there and uh, walked in of course my wife was worried because I'd been out all night with a coast guard and you know she didn't ask too many questions just wait a minute, where all a minute. The... wait wait you said the coast guard was there a search out for you with the coast guard is that what did I get that right uh, she had called the coast guard for a search and they was fixing to start the search. They hadn't found me yet. So okay. she had to call the Coast Guard back and tell them that I showed up home. Uh, you know, so it was reported to the Coast Guard at that time. And uh, matter of fact, the Coast Guard was fairly familiar with me on the first sight. And, you know, one of their Coast Guard cutters was actually one of the witnesses that uh, came forward. They actually went out and found a craft in the water that same night, same day, documented. Everybody did a, uh, wrote a little deal on it with six members on board the, the Coast Guard cutter. Well, the, so, question so, everybody, the question in everybody's mind right now is, and, and we need to hurry, is what happened to you? Why were you there for that period of time? I had been abducted, and I feel like she was the same being, female being, and I think it might have been a disguise now or something. But I feel like she was there to get a, uh, whatever they had put my nasal cavities out. And she grabbed me, and we actually got in a physical confrontation on the ship. And I was tired of this by then, and I had decided I was going to, wrap her little skinny ass neck in my arms and if I could find a door jump out and I got my proof and we I beat her head against the wall actually I was trying to kill her because I was sick of it and uh, me and her both got bloody then that big ugly creature same robotic looking creature came over gave me one of them uh, I don't give a shit shots and put me back in my boat that was a bloody situation. If I had only known to save my shirt, it would have been DNA on it or something because it was her blood and my blood and all. Well, that let's, was a let's let's take a break here, and I got a couple of questions for you. When we come back, I'll get uh, if you saw a craft or just the awakening in the in the craft itself and that sort of thing. Um, I assume the story is told in Pascagoula. The story continues. It I, is. I will have more information available on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And I will mention once again, uh, Roswell in the 21st Century, which gives, I think, a great perspective on the Roswell case as it exists today and what we know and what we think we know and what we've forgotten, I guess. I will be back right after this with Calvin Parker. We will be talking about uh, his experiences with UFOs. So please hang around. watching the XO TV channel. 
channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. with Calvin Parker. We're talking about Pascagoula. The story continues, which is available at Amazon, I'm sure. A um, couple of questions for you, Calvin. First of all, is a point of confusion. You talked about the Coast Guard documenting the sighting in some fashion. I mean, uh, is that the, the 19... That's the 1993 sighting, correct? Well, in both sightings, in 1973, the Coast Guard was actually touched a craft with a mooring pole and then in 1993 they didn't see nothing but they was on call to come out and search for me but they had to wait you know and was going to wait until daylight call it a search and rescue but i showed up and i called them back and well, let's, let let's, them know that i was fine the the 1973 coast guard event that 
is is it the same craft you saw? Is it related to your sighting, or is it a different different case, a different day? What exactly are we talking about here? You know, I don't know that. I had heard about it, and the, the Coast Guard put out a statement on it on 13 News. I'm not real sure. I hadn't I had done a whole lot of research, but it is in the, the first book, uh, Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter of My Story. It, it's, it's all documented in now what the Coast Guard report said and what it was done and all. Okay. But you know, I've never read it. Okay, so um, and now we're back to 1993, I guess. Right. And do you do you have any recollection of getting on the craft or being taken to the craft or what exactly? How did you end up in the, in the craft? I was laying down on my boat seat looking up, and it looked like a big cloud. The next thing I knew, I was in the craft and. Uh, having a fight with this alien woman and apparently I was in there a pretty good while because from 11 a.m. to 3 o'clock when I finally uh, got out that was a long time it didn't seem like but just seconds because I remember the fight and everything else in there so yeah then I've been hypnotized by Kathleen and Hopkins to try to bring some more details back into it and uh flea martin betty hills news they she did a three-hour session and she brought out some amazing facts it's in the last book over here her whole hypnosis sessions and uh, the story continues and i still kind of read over that and she was a pro i mean she she did good well, when uh, you got into the fight with the alien woman um, and the robotic creature interrupted the fight, um, he you remember him taking you out and dropping you in your fishing area? Or what, what exactly happened there? Well, I remember him grabbing me by my arm. And again, I, I felt uh, another injection. And, you know, once I got that shot, I didn't care what he did with me. But no, that thing I knew, I was back in my boat. So you went, you went sort of from the craft, to, and, and then you woke up in the boat. Yes, sir. That's true. Okay, and you've uh, been hypnotically grasped by a number of people, and all of this is outlined in the in the new book, correct? It is. Yes, sir. Was this the your last encounter with uh, alien creatures? It was. I hadn't, as far as I know, I hadn't had any other abductions or sightings or anything. And uh, the people down in this area, it's always been a strange area where, where I live here. I know in the 1870s, there's a newspaper clipping out in the library where there was 500 witnesses seen something fly by, you know, and back in they didn't have lights or cameras or uh, cars or nothing like that. And that's all documented. So I'm on the same, I call it flight pattern, where they show up at a regular basis here, but I haven't seen anything else. Did uh, did you get, when you, during the second second encounter, did you get the impression they had searched you out specifically? I did, yes, sir. And I think they was there to take the implant out. 
that it was in my nasal cavity. So then, See, after, go ahead, please. After 73, I never had a nosebleed, but after 73, I'd, almost, I'd have to go to the hospital sometime for nosebleeds. And uh, they just chalk it up as a nosebleed. But I think I was, had the implants, I'm not for sure. And they came back to get them out. Okay. Um, didn't they, did they take any x-rays or anything like that at the time? I mean, when you went to the hospital? No, sir, they didn't. They just stopped the bleeding, I guess. Just packed my nose, stopped the bleeding, told me to hold my head back. You know, we're still talking old school. <laughs> yeah, I used to have lots of nosebleeds too, but uh, I had a different issue than, than that. Right. Uh, so you've got, you've got a multitude of witnesses to the first encounter. Um, yes, sir. Who've come forward and give it? You've got the names. You've got their stories. They uh, all in the book. Yes, sir. It, uh, when you say in the book, now these these new witnesses are in the the uh, story continues, right? Yes, sir. Every one of them's in there. All their testimonies, all of Phillips' background work that he did on them's in there. Uh, all of Irene Scott's notes and stuff are in there. I mean, they, we tried to document everything as well as we can. There's also pictures of the witnesses, and they, they don't none of them want nothing. They just, you know, come to my side because, believe it or not, the people here in Pascagoula in Jackson County, they all care for me, and they've showed it and proved it many a times. And uh, they just wanted to be there and tell their story. Say, look, we behind you. This is what we seen. Uh, did Charles Hickson leave any kind of diary or documentation? You know, I don't know. When uh, Charlie and I, after this '73 incident, we seen each other very few times. And matter of fact, the one time I seen him, he come and said he was going to write a book in contact. Uh, and wanted my permission to use my name in it. Well, I just signed off because I was trying to blow off Charlie. Well, he did his book, and, you know, he's got some kind of uh, eyewitness things in there that had come forward. So I don't know. I've never read his book, didn't intend on reading it, never really spoke to Charlie because I thought he lied to me about contacting the uh, you know, about talking about this, because we both agreed we wasn't going to talk about it. And so he you know, he became kind of a spokesman for the case. And I know that uh, back in the uh, late 70s, the idea was that you had passed out. Right. Long, didn't remember, didn't, didn't really see anything. And that was, uh, that was the story we was telling. Hey, I guess in that way he was trying to protect me because of, uh, you know, we agreed. We agreed on that story. If he went before he went to a Chicago to be on the Mike Douglas show, I said, "Don't tell him anything about me or anything at all." So we just agreed that I passed out to kind of keep the media off. And and it worked very well, I guess. Yes, sir, it did. Up until uh. My wife and Philip talked me into uh, doing this book, 
And I'm going to tell y'all, Philip, he has been great to me. He's a good publisher. He hustles. He works hard. But the one thing that I really like about Philip, when he gives you his word on something, it's solid. You can write it in stone because that's the way that it is. It just tells it like it is. He don't care whose feelings he hurts or whose he don't hurt. You know, so that's one thing I like about Philip. Well, Calvin, I think we're about out of time here. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to chat with us about uh, your new book and some of the information that you've developed over the years about your encounter first in 1973 and then in 1993. Uh, you'd be interested in coming back on the program at some point? Yes, sir. Just send me an invitation and I'll come. <laughs> that makes it real easy then. <laughs> yeah. That way we can get more into the uh, second encounter and the witnesses. Yes, yes. Okay, well, thank you very much, Calvin. appreciate your time time today. You have a good day. Thank you, Calvin. Okay, goodbye. Uh, that was Calvin Parker. His book was Pascagoula, The Story Continues. It's from Flying Disc Press. You can find it at Amazon or probably in bookstores if you take a look for it. Might be an interesting read, uh, given what he's told us today. Uh, and I'd like to, you know, again, point out, I've done a number of books recently, such as... Uh, the Best of Project Blue Book, which is a look at the Air Force investigation and the cases that came up um, about uh, from the from Project Blue Book files, out of the Project Blue Book files, it gives us an idea of what's going on, but I was able to bring in a lot of additional information that, that was developed years later about those cases and give kind of a, well, a different perspective about those cases. Coming up next week, I'm going to talk to John Steiger, it took a moment to remember his name, John Steiger, who's a friend of mine, as a matter of fact, who has um, done some interesting things with a number of cases, doing uh, plays about uh, the Roswell case as if it's a trial. And I think he did Rendlesham Forest as a trial, kind of a, again, a different perspective on those cases. I also hope coming up um, by the end of the month or maybe at the beginning of next month, we're going to talk to a guy who was involved with Treasure Quest, another one of the another one of the cast members. And I use the term cast member on purpose uh, because that's exa exactly what they were. We'll get a different perspective on that as well. So there's something coming up in the future. You have been listening to A Different Perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. I appreciate you listening in and thanks for tuning in.